Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Jackie Armstrong Hominick, Parliamentary Secretary for Ukrainian Refugee Settlement and the MLA for Fort Saskatchewan Vegreville. With us today are Premier Danielle Smith, uh, Minister uh, Adriana Lagrange, uh, Minister Nate Gublish of Strathcona Sherwood Park, and uh, MLA uh, Jordan Walker from Sherwood Park and also Board Chair Leanne Iwaskiw. Before I turn things over to the Premier, I would like to thank Principal Peter Ratchmischuk and his staff for hosting us here at this wonderful school. St. Nicholas School has served as a community hub for decades, and I'm sure its important legacy here in Sherwood Park will continue for years to come. And thank you to the entire Board of Trustees and to all the staff from Elk Island Catholic Schools. The work you do Supporting students is very much appreciated. I am very happy to be here and be part of this exciting announcement. With that, I will now invite Premier Danielle Smith to the podium to share some exciting news. Well, good morning, everyone, and thank you to Leanne Uwaskiw, Board Chair of Elk Island Catholic Schools, to Paul Corrigan, Superintendent of Elk Island Catholic Schools, Authority and Principal Ramistruk, uh, and all of the dedicated staff here at St. Nicholas Catholic School for hosting this, what I think is an exciting announcement today. I'm glad to see our local MLAs, Nick Lubish, Minister for Technology and Innovation, and Jordan Walker, MLA for Sher Sherwood Park here as well. And I also want to acknowledge my friends and colleagues, Adriana LaGrange, Minister of Education, who you will hear from shortly, as well as, of course, Jackie Armstrong-Hominick, my Parliamentary Secretary for Ukrainian Refugee Settlement and the Chair of the Premier's Advisory Task Force on Ukraine. We are so lucky to have Jackie as our representative in our caucus and our government so that we can reach out to the Ukrainian community, not-for-profits, NGOs and organizations supporting settlement programs and other supports. And I look forward to our first meeting later today, which will also include members of the Ukrainian world and Canadian Congresses. I'm so glad to be here this morning at a school that is home to both English and Ukrainian bilingual programs, which so well reflects the Ukrainian heritage of Alberta. Ukrainians have been part of Alberta since before this land was even a province. They came here with a dream to make a better life for their families and to live in freedom. Alberta's government takes great pride in its historical connections with Ukraine. And in recent months, uh, our relationship has taken on added significance as Ukraine defends itself against ongoing Russian aggression. In Alberta, we are blessed with beautifully domed churches, the Ukrainian heritage village, delicious restaurants, and of course, the wonderful Ukrainian people that call our province home. Today, more than one in four Albertans is a full or part Ukrainian heritage, and we continue to welcome Ukrainians for the reasons we always have, for safety, freedom, and a better life. As we witness in horror Russia's war on Ukraine, Alberta's government is taking action, welcoming people and families, helping them access health coverage, assisting them to get financial support, find work, and apply for Alberta ID, including driver's licenses. We're also helping more than 2,200 Ukrainian children enroll in 612 kindergarten to grade 12 schools in their new communities. These children are adapting to a culture, and in many cases, a language that is new to them. 
They need our help, and I'm proud to say that they are getting it. I'm pleased to announce Alberta's government is providing more than $12 million in additional funding for school authorities to, to support Ukrainian students now living in Alberta. And I can tell you that this funding is part of meeting our responsibility to these new Albertans. With this announcement and with all the other ways in which we support our new neighbours from Ukraine, Alberta's government joins all Albertans in helping to make this province a safe and a welcoming home. I'll now invite Education Minister Adriana Lagrange to explain how that funding Funding will be used to help Ukrainian students learn in Alberta schools. Minister Lagrange. Thank you, Premier. So, good afternoon, students, teachers, school staff, administrators, trustees, Premier Smith, MLA Walker, Minister Glubish, Minister Hominick. Welcome to everyone. I am so happy to be here to support our Premier as we announce additional funding for school authorities to support displaced Ukrainian students now living in Alberta. Millions of people have fled Ukraine, making this one of the fastest growing displaced citizen crises since World War II. As a result of the war, hundreds of Ukrainian families need our government's support to help ensure their children do not fall further behind in their education development. This new funding for school authorities is to provide language, social, and educational supports for these children. Every person deserves a barrier-free access to education, and that is what we are here to deliver. This funding of over $12 million will directly help schools to provide the necessary supports to over 2,500 new Ukrainian students. Additional funding will be provided in March of 2023 to ensure Ukrainian children and students who arrive midway through the school year are also supported. Schools play an important role in the growth and well-being of youth which is why Ukrainian children need our help to feel supported and welcomed. Thank you so much to the school staff and teachers and local students who have worked so hard to make our Ukrainian friends feel at home. I cannot think of another stronger, more resilient group than the Ukrainians. Even though they have been uprooted and forced to leave their families, their homes, and their communities, they have persevered through, at times, impossible circumstances. It is truly inspiring. Please know that everyone going through this terrible situation continues to be in our thoughts and in our prayers. Alberta has a strong connection with the Ukraine, and I'm proud that we have been able to welcome so many Ukrainians into our schools. And that includes St. Nicholas, the school we're in right now, which has been very accommodating to several young students from the Ukraine. Thank you to Elk Island Catholic Schools and to all the wonderful staff and teachers here at St. Nicholas for your graciousness, your generosity of spirit, and of course, your really hard work to make sure that everyone feels welcome. Your efforts are both noticed and appreciated. And thank you to the students. No matter what the future holds, I am sure the friendships and relationships you build here will last a lifetime. On behalf of Albert Education, and all of my colleagues in Government of Alberta, thank you so much. Thank you, Minister. 
I know Alberta school authorities will be grateful for the additional funding. Our final speaker today is Chair Iwaskiw, who will share what the, what the funding means to Elk Island Catholic Schools. The, ma the media Q&A will begin immediately afterwards. Chair Iwaskiw, the floor is yours. On behalf of the Elk Island Catholic School Board of Trustees, we are pleased to hear that there will be additional funding to support Ukrainian families in our schools and communities across the province. Elk Island Catholic Schools has welcomed over 50 Ukrainian students into our schools in Sherwood Park, Strathcona County, Fort Saskatchewan, Camrose, and Vegreville since September. We are very grateful and proud of our staff, parishes, and greater community for hosting, welcoming, and supporting these Ukrainian national students and families as they arrive to Canada and join our schools. This funding will be part of a greater continuum of support for Ukrainian students and families. I know I speak for the Elk Island Catholic community when I say that our lives have been enriched by the opportunity to support and to get to know these students, their parents, and extended families. Thank you. All right, thank you everybody. That concludes our formal presentation. We are going to head to Q&A. Just a reminder for everybody that Premier Smith, Minister LaGrange, and the Parliamentary Secretary for U Ukrainian Refugee Settlement, Jackie Armstrong Hominick, are available for questions. We're gonna take three questions from the floor and then head to the phone lines. I do ask that if you have an on-topic question that you put yourself to the front of the line uh, to ask that question first. So with that being said, anybody that has a question from the floor, please step up to the mic. I don't think anybody has one on topic. Okay, go ahead. We don't have any. No, no calls? Well, we do have calls. We'll just get to them after. Go ahead. CTV News, Premier Smith. Um, you've made it clear that you won't mandate masks and school boards are being left to decide how to protect children. But at what point will you step in to ensure steps are taken to help keep, keep, keep kids healthy? Let me say a word about, about masks. Anyone who feels comfortable to wear a mask should wear a mask. That should be a personal choice. And anyone who wants to make that choice, I support them. But we are not going to be mandating masks. We've heard loud and clear from parents that they want a normal school environment for their kids. And we're going to let kids be kids. We, um, I, I think the most important thing that we're seeing right now is that we have a number of viruses that are circulating at once. We've got RSV, we've got COVID, and we've got influenza. And we also have some serious issues that we have to deal with that, quite frankly, I think are the ones that parents want me to focus on. I'm very concerned about the shortage of children's Tylenol, which um, I understand the Prime Minister is uh, going to be making an announcement in the coming days about procuring more supply. That's really important because if parents don't have the drugs that they need to be able to treat fever at home, then they're going to hospital waiting rooms. And the hospital waits are unacceptably long, which is part of the reason why later this week, we will be announcing some significant reforms to Alberta Health Services so that we can address that issue of making sure that we've got more efficient emergency rooms. Uh, I'll also be meeting later today with the Pharmacist Association 
in the event that the, um, the, the infection from RSV lasts longer, we have to make sure that we have a, a supply here. We have a number of compounding pharmacies who have the ability to make the, uh, the Tylenol on site, and we just have to work with uh, suppliers to make sure that we can get the components in. So that's the process that I'm going through right now. I think that, that parents want to see meaningful steps being taken to make sure that their kids' health issues are being addressed. And I think those are the two things that they're looking for me to do, is to, to make those kind of meaningful steps. I would also say that I think parents are being very responsible. I think now that we've had the last two and a half years that we've had, that everybody is a lot more sensitive when their child is ill in keeping them home. I think that explains a lot of the absences. And if you look at what um, immunologists and virologists recommend when it comes to social distancing, they say that the most important thing is stay home when you're sick. And so I congratulate parents for taking that advice seriously. And uh, I think we still have um, a, a, few, a, a few difficult months to get through respiratory virus season, but I, I'm, I'm going to do what I can to make sure that they have the medications that they need and that if, uh, heaven forbid, anyone needs to go to the hospital, that they are not waiting an excessively long period of time to get their child seen. Can I get a follow-up? Yeah. Um, given the, uh, the medicine shortages and the amount okay. of illness in schools, would this not be a good time to hear from Dr. Hinshaw? It's been quite some time since we've heard mm -hmm. from her. You, we'll be making an announcement in that regard in the coming days, and uh, we'll, we'll make sure that the advice that school boards and parents need to receive will be received by the Chief Medical Officer of Health, yes. We'll be hearing from Dr. Hinshaw? We'll be hearing from the Chief Medical Officer of Health in a, in a number of days. Hi, Premier Smith. Julia Wong, CBC News. You said anyone who feels comfortable to wear a mask should mm -hmm. wear a mask. That falls short of what we're hearing from the top doctor in Ontario, and he is recommending that masks be worn indoors, as you mentioned, as the healthcare system buckles. So are you recommending masks to be worn indoors? I'm uh, telling anyone who wishes to wear a mask to wear one, but we will not be mandating them, no. And just in relation to schools, I think a lot of school divisions are a bit unclear as to what they can or cannot do based on the recent court ruling. So if a school board decides themselves that they want to impose a mask mandate, will that be allowed? Will the province allow the school division to make that decision and not interfere? Uh, health decisions are the purview of the health minister uh, with advice from who he needs to seek advice from. And so I will, uh, I, would, I, 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 will, I will make sure, and I've been talking with the justice minister about that, that we retain the full authority to be offering that advice at the provincial level. Hi, Premier. Dan Grummet with Global News. Um, Ontario, I think, as Julia mentioned, is preparing for a surge in its hospitals. You've acknowledged that we have a difficult couple of months ahead. You know, some of the advice I've seen from the provinces, um, you know, get vaccinated if you can, against the flu or COVID-19, uh, stay home if you're sick. But I think there's parents out there like you acknowledged, wanting meaningful steps. So mm -hmm. what is the plan to address these difficult coming months and the pressure that they're putting on our healthcare system? Well, I think you know that RSV doesn't have a vaccine. And RSV is also the most common childhood virus. In fact, if you look it up, you'll find that almost 100% of kids have exposure to RSV before the age of two. And so we, um, I think what we're experiencing is because we had 
such uh, draconian lockdowns over the last three years, there's just a large number of kids who didn't get that exposure. And so now we have a, a surge in those cases, and it's compounded by the fact that we still have not seen an increase in surge capacity at our hospitals. That's a failure of Alberta Health Services management. I've been very clear about that and how we're going to be addressing that in the coming days. And then on top of that, we have the d disruption in the supply of uh, children's Tylenol. I've been watching at the federal level, and um, I've seen the leader of the official opposition allege that this is due to the bilingual labeling requirements. I hope that's not the case, although I have done some investigation that we do not seem to have these supply problems in America. We don't seem to have these supply problems in Mexico. So I think that the most meaningful thing that parents want to see from me is that if we can't get a procured supply through the normal chains, that we're going to take the action to make sure that we get that supply. We have got compounding pharmacies, I think 100 of them in Alberta. AHS has a compounding pharmacy. And so we'll be working with suppliers to make sure that we have that, that steady supply of uh, medication so that it's there for parents when they need it. I think that when you're talking about meaningful solutions, that's what they want to see. Parents want to see that they've got the medication there when their kids get sick and that if their kids need to go to hospital, that they're not waiting hours and hours. And those are the things that we'll be addressing. And just to follow up, it's a bit on Julia and Dave's question, but I think we would like you to be clear. You know, it's obvious. You, there's not going to be a mask mandate. Mm -hmm. That's clear. But will this government recommend them, or, or do you recommend them? I, uh, look, I've, I've said that anybody who wants to wear a mask can feel comfortable wearing a mask. I'm not going to be mandating them. So the, the answer is no, you don't, you don't recommend I'm not going to be mandating them. All right, operator, can you please go to the first caller? Thank you, Rick Bell, Calgary Sun. Uh, good afternoon, Premier. Um, I'd just like some clarification on because I've been approached by people since uh, Friday, since Remembrance Day on, on this issue, and that is the issue of so-called Danielle dollars. Um, and some people seem to be think, thinking that you're going to do this program or that they're going to be part of some program for Danielle dollars, which would be very similar to what you suggested in the 2012 election and, of course, what Premier Klein did many years ago. Um, where are you at, if you could be just very clear, where are you at with the idea of Danielle Dollars? And if Danielle Dollars aren't happening, are some people going to get checks and other people not going to get checks? I realize you're going to re-index age. There's going to be, you know, help at the fuel pumps. But number one, you know, that just if you could talk about the, the Danielle Dollars and whether we're all getting checks, or some people are getting checks, or nobody's getting checks. Well, I, I did take a look at what has happened in Saskatchewan, where Scott Moe announced $500 payments to every adult over age 18. And I said pretty clearly that we're not going to do that, because I, I think that what people are looking for is targeted support to those most in need. And so we've, we've got a number of measures that we're considering. But when I look at those who are most in need, I look at those who are on AISH and seniors benefit, which is why I've directed our affordability and utilities minister to re-index those benefits. I'm, I also, when I talk to seniors, the things that they raise with me are the high cost of pharmaceutical drugs and groceries, and then families with kids, um, also the high cost of groceries and gasoline and diesel, as well as the concern they have coming into the fall and winter with an increase in, in power and, and, and uh, heating bills. So you will find that, yes, we are going to give targeted support. 
and it is going to be substantial, but it's, it's not going to be in the model of what uh, you've described as Ralph Bucks in the past or in what we're, we're seeing in Saskatchewan. And uh, just as a follow-up, um, I understand that when you talked about, talk about seniors, that makes a lot of sense. And you talked about generally stuff perhaps at the pump and on power bills. You mentioned parents, that parents raise some concerns. Could you end up, depending on what you roll out, and you know what you're rolling out, I don't, could you end up with a situation where higher-earning parents get a check, if you will, get targeted inflationary relief, if you will, and let's say a couple with no kids who are of more modest income, they're not on niche, but they are of more modest income, or even people, single people of more modest income who are facing, in many cases, high rent hikes, would not get something. So by going targeted, I get where you're going, but could you also, especially on this parents' part, could you end up with a situation where higher-earning parents would get money, but lower-earning people without kids would not? Well, it's part of the reason why we're putting together a package of supports, and you'll, you'll have to wait until you see the, the bill that we uh, introduce in the legislature. We're still in the process of going through cabinet discussions on it and our caucus meeting discussions on it. But I, I can assure you that we, we are going to make sure that we provide support for every single Albertan. It'll just be in different ways. And so, you, of course, you've seen that we we're already talking about re-indexing personal income tax. We've got some support coming on home heating and electricity bills, on gasoline and, and diesel bills. So there, there will be support for everyone. It's just that we want to make sure that we're targeting the most significant support to those who are most in need. All right, operator, can you go to the next caller, please? David Staples, Edmonton Journal. Hi, Premier. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I understand that a lot, some of the trouble in the hospitals is due to this RSV and also due to the flu, and that the level of flu vaccination for uh, young people is quite low in Alberta. Do you know, that the Globe and Mail, I think, reported it was uh, 7.5% of kids under 5. Do you know what the vaccination levels for flu are for young people in Alberta? And if this is a problem, if it is filling up our emergency wards, do you recommend that young people get vaccinated for the flu? You, you know, I'll, I'll uh, leave that, that question for the doctors to, to answer. And as I mentioned, in the, in the coming days, we'll have uh, the chief medical officer of health able to, to answer those questions. I don't, I don't know the statistics on the number of people who have been vaccinated. But I, I do know that vaccination um, with influenza, we always talk about whether or not it's a good match to the prevailing strain that is circulating. I think in, in good years, it's about 50% effective. And so there's still always going to be a percentage of the public uh, that is going to be at risk. And when people get sick, we have to make sure that they've got the medications that will help bring fever down. And in this case, it's children's Tylenol, which is why I'm, I've been quite concerned for the last couple of weeks, seeing um, the mums groups and the concern that they have about being able to get access, because if they can't get access and they can't see their family doctor, they go into emergency rooms. So those are the things that I'm focused on, is how do we make sure that we get a supply of medications so that parents can treat their kids at home and that we have an efficient way of managing the extra pressure on our hospitals so that as we do have this, these three surges that are happening right now, that we're able to effectively make sure that people get the treatment they need. That's where I think our, our, our efforts are best spent. 
Premier, you've gotten a lot of heat for inviting Dr. Paul Alexander um, to, to get his opinion. I'm just wondering, in what context is he going to be advising the government? I, I, I didn't um, invite him. <laughs> he was being invited. Okay. The, well, just, I was. He was being ad, invited at the at the uh, request of one of the other candidates in Brooks Medicine Hat, and I said, sure, I'd be I'd be happy to connect him with some of the doctors advising me. I'll be announcing my doctors' advisory committee in in the coming days. With, with, with the, he does seem like kind of make some incendiary comments, like calling the vaccine a bioweapon. Do you think it harms the credibility of your government in the process of coming up with solid public health guidelines to, 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 to be consulting someone who says incendiary things? I, as I said, I've, I've not consulted him. I have a doctor's advisory committee that is, uh, that is uh, talking to lots of doctors, uh, consulting widely, and they'll be the ones who are advising me, and I'll announce them in the coming days. Operator, please put through the next caller. Michelle Tinnan, Vegreville News. Um, hi, this question is for MLA uh, Armstrong Commoner. Um, I wanted to know um, from her point of view how important and impactful the um, targeted support will be for um, those Ukrainian uh, newcomers and students, um, not only in Vegreville but um, in other communities. Um, well, the targets, uh, the uh, supports are actually targeted for the the Ukrainian children, and they will be extremely helpful in um, getting them to uh, come into the uh, school system here. It will provide them with the, the supports that they need to be lifelong learners. And Minister Legree, will there be? Um, sorry, do you want to add to that? Now? I'm just wondering, can I ask ask one more question at all? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay, yeah. I was just wondering if um, when you talk about supports, if that means additional um, staff in schools or um, just different kinds of um, electronic or um, text uh, tutoring, what other kinds of things um, would be involved? It can be any and all of those things. Um, all of the dollars will be dispersed to the school authorities, to the school boards, and then they're in the best position to make those decisions for their actual schools and for their students. So again, it's to reinforce and support language uh, development, um, as well as uh, you know perhaps individual staff members that are required, as well as different programming that might be required. It's there for all of those things. And we also know that some of our children are suffering from PTSD and other mental health uh, issues as a result of the war, and we want to make sure that those supports are there for those kids as well. All right, we have time for two more questions. Operator, next caller, please. Michelle Belfontaine, CBC. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Um, this is either for the Premier or for the Education Minister. Why is your government and Alberta Health Services not releasing information about the number of school outbreaks in the province? Uh, we've gone back to pre-pandemic um, reporting of, of school outbreaks, et cetera. Uh, when we look at uh, just prior to the new school year starting, we provided a new guidance document to school authorities. It's called the Outbreak Prevention and Control in Schools and includes um, recommendations on respiratory, gastrointestinal, and rash illnesses for the 22-23 school year. So with that document, we've gone back to the way that uh, schools 
dealt with issues, and, and we've seen issues over the years, over the decades, whether it was flus or, or um, as I said, gastrointestinal rashes, mumps, measles, you name it, we've seen it in our schools. So we, we do have protocols in place, and those are what our school divisions are following. And I can tell you right now that I have not had any school boards re request um, ma mask mandates in our schools. But as a follow-up, I've heard a lot in this news conference about, you know, getting hold of children's Tylenol and emergency rooms, you know, access for children. But shouldn't we try to prevent kids from getting sick in the first place? And, and, and doesn't that information help parents make a decision about whether they should send their kids to school? Well, yes, and, and we trust parents to make those decisions. And the fact that uh, parents are, in fact, as the Premier said, keeping children home uh, be, when they are ill. Um, in, in the past, we used to see more students coming to school when they were ill. We appreciate the fact that parents are keeping those students home so that they're unable to spread it to other children. But again, there are a wide variety of illnesses that are out in our schools on a regular basis. Uh, we are monitoring the situation very closely. Of course, we're always concerned about the safety and security of our students and our staff members. We will continue to do what's best for our students and we will continue to work with our school divisions who provide us that information. Operator, can you please go to the last caller? Catherine Grakowski, Alberta Today. Thanks for taking my question. So uh, I'm hearing a lot about um, that parents are in the best position to, to make decisions or in some cases school boards should be making decisions. In other cases, it's Alberta Health. But I'm wondering, how are people supposed to make rational and evidence-based decisions without the access to the data? I, I don't understand why we've gone back to that pre-pandemic reporting. Well, I think we have to remember that COVID was a very unique point in time. It was a, a scary virus. We didn't know what it was going to do. There were some pretty extraordinary projections about the amount of deaths that would occur from it. And so it required an extraordinary action. Uh, now that we know more about the virus, we, we are returning to, um, to treating it and other viruses as endemic. And I, I think it's important that we not cause uh, an overreaction or a state of panic. We, we want people to know that we take this seriously, but we also want to do the things that we know are going to help. And the things that are going to help are going to make sure that kids get the medicine that they need when they get sick and that the hospitals are able to handle the capacity if people need to, to go to hospital. But I, I, I don't want us to get into a situation where we think that the kind of extreme measures taken during COVID are going to become the normal. They are not going to become the normal. We, we signaled back in June that we were switching to an endemic approach. And that's what this means. It, it means that if your child is sick, make sure that you keep them home. And um, we have to make sure that we do our part so that the, the parents have the support that they need if the child is sick as well. But we're not going to bring the same measures in that we had for a brand new virus the, the, and act as if this is the, the same circumstance. We have different circumstances. And I think we've got the support of the public in wanting to make sure that, that we maintain as normal an environment for teaching kids as possible. We've had two and a half years of school disruption and we, we want to make sure that, uh, that we, we don't have any additional disruptions. And so, yes, it's, it's, uh, this season has hit us a little bit early, and there's a number of viruses out there that are floating around, but it's our job to make sure the health system is working effectively. And you'll hear more about that later this week. Okay. And, and you said later this week that you'll, you'll reveal more details, but I'm, I'm wondering if you can explain with 
if there is a, whoever the chief medical officer of health is by the end of the week, if they will be able to provide independent advice at their own news conference or if the plan is to have news conferences with politicians and the doctor's advisory you know, group and the chief medical officer. Can you explain what's, what's that going to look like? Well, we did do an updated guide for the outbreak of respiratory d- diseases, as the uh, education minister indicated, and we will continue giving updated advice. But we've we've got to make sure that we're not causing unnecessary uh, panic. I think that that we have to to if we're going to be treating this respiratory virus season as endemic, we've we've got to as as much as possible go back to treating things the way we did prior to the most recent two and a half years. So um, I. With the chief, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll have more to say when uh, the when, when the chief medical officer of health is is uh, uh, is is uh, prepared to make a, a statement on this. It'll be in the coming days, but I wouldn't anticipate that you're going to see daily news uh, press conferences. No, so we will make sure that we're getting information out to parents and to schools and to those who need it. But we're we're not going to be treating this the same way that we did it at the beginning of COVID. We're not. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone.